0: Mark Sweeney, and this is the third installment of Reboot Review, a podcast which shines a spotlight on the adventures of DC Comics' The Legion of Superheroes, specifically the stories of the reimagined Legion, published between 1994 and 2004. Most of the episodes in this podcast series will feature a recap and brief commentary for two issues as The Adventures of the Legion at this time threaded through two different series released bi-weekly. The Legion of Superheroes, and Legionnaires. This episode I'll be looking at Legion of Superheroes number 63 and Legionnaires number 20, both from December 1994. So Legion of Superheroes number 63 is by the writing team of Mark Wade and Tom McCraw. It's penciled by Lee Motor, Brian Apthorpe, and Scott Benefiel, and inked by Ron Boyd and Tom Simmons. Now, I've got to say, though, none of the art in this issue is particularly bad. It doesn't usually bode well when you've got five artists working on one regular-sized comic, especially with three pencillers. not sure if Motor was having some deadline issues or what, as he was the regular artist, or supposed to be, but it was a little disappointing to see so many names in the credit box this time out. Each artistic team does okay work, the... Motor Boyd team does seem to do the lion's share of it, and that's good because they're they're the best pairing. but uh, the switch in styles throughout the issue is a little jarring, nowhere near as smooth as it was between the first and second issues of this title when the transition from Stuart imminent on Pencils to uh, Lee Motor happened. Luckily, things would stabilize over the next few issues of this title. Um, but anyway, Bob Penaha did the lettering, Tom McCraw again pulls double duty, providing not only the plot, but the colors as well, and this book was edited by Mike McAvinney and Casey Carlson. All of this happens under a Stuart imminent cover. Now, the issue opens with a nice little Legion roll call, harkening back to even the Silver Age, where Legionnaires featured in the story were listed on a little scroll. Here we have two columns of headshots straddling the splash page. Featured in this issue is just about the entire team up to this point. Cosmic Boy, Saturn Girl, Invisible Kid, Excess, Leviathan, Live Wire, Triad, Chameleon, and Apparition. Missing only is Brainiac 5 and of course the recently deceased Kid Quantum story proper opens with a couple of miners deep under the surface of the moon. Making their way through some poorly lit corridors, the pair happens upon a strange-looking character claiming to be a new supervisor. But we recognize this character uh, from previous issues as Mano, the globe-helmeted sole survivor of the planet Angtu, who's been seeking revenge on Leland Macaulay, the wealthy industrialist behind not only this mining operation, but He's also the man who sold the chemical weapons to the warring factions on Angtu which led to that races near extinction. One of the miners reaches out to take Mano's hand, but realizes too late that not only is Mano sporting the ID badge of a missing colleague, but his now ungloved right hand is about to disintegrate him. Cut to Legion HQ where Apparition is giving Chameleon lessons in Interlac, the universal language of the United Planets in which all members of the Legion, save for the Durlin Chameleon, uh, are fluid. The lesson is interrupted by a ruckus in the hallway, and Apparition phases through a wall to see Triad and Livewire running from a large group of little robo-insectoid Jawa-looking things called Atheromites who've been hired as the Legion's image consultants. The Athermites have been pestering the Legionnaires about their costumes, and are pushing for, among other things, more capes and jackets. The uh, Legionnaire's annoyance is about to escalate when RJ Brand, the rich magnate who dreamed up the Legion, calls off the pesky Athermites. The teens complain to Brand about their current cramped he- headquarters, but it turns out old RJ has a surprise for them. They hop aboard a couple of little open air cruisers and fly across Metropolis to the location of their brand new sorry pun intended brand new building headquarters and a pretty impressive building it is a huge L-shaped building. L-shaped if you're looking down at it from above with a large falling star-shaped pool which completes the picture of the Legion logo again if you're seeing it from above. On hand to give the teens their first tour is President Chu of the United Planets government. Uh, The uh, impatient youths rush right past her and check out everything on their their own, including the meeting room, the living quarters, and the gym. And in the dining facility, they meet Tenzil Kem, who's to be the team chef. Now this is a pretty major wink-wink, nudge-nudge to long-time Legion fans, as Tenzil in the previous continuity was a Legionnaire named Matter-Eater Lad, whose preposterous power was the ability to consume and digest all kinds of matter. I never really understood how this power worked, uh, did I once read somewhere that there's some kind of like acid or something in the saliva that breaks down things like metal and stone, or that I just dream that up? Any Matter Eater Lad fans out there, please enlighten me. Anyway, I'm sure that there were some Tenzel fans that were pretty pissed off at this demotion from full-fledged legionnaire to a team employee, especially since the character had recently been used within the last five years or so of this story. He'd been used better than he'd ever had been in the previous 25 years of his existence. He was something of a comic relief character when at his best, but always in a knowing way, and there are a couple of issues of the previous run that really spotlight the character, which are excellent and worth checking out. Numbers 11 and 14, maybe a couple of others I think. Anyway, here he's the cook, and he makes a fool of himself with a couple of scoops of ice cream ending up on his head. Brand introduces Invisible Kid and Cosmic Boy to the recently-installed Brainiac Five, who can barely be bothered mumbling to himself about Mega Drives and Cyber Trams. Just then, an alarm calls the team to the monitor room. It's Leland Macaulay on a big screen. Macaulay is, of course, Brand's rival, and he's calling in a favor. Seems he's got a little problem where he is on the moon. Three employees have been murdered, and he fares, rightly, that he's next. Now, why Macaulay doesn't call in the Science Police, which is the United Planet's own peacekeeping force, is explained by Brand in that his rival just can't resist a close look at Brand's new toys. With lives in danger, the team doesn't need any more reason than that, and they take off for the moon. An interesting little interlude follows, with four beefy-looking black-garbed men floating in space using something like X-ray vision to look down on the planet below. What they see there, many different races and kinds of beings intermingling disgusts them. The group discusses the inferiority of all all alien beings, and one of them brings up Roderick Doyle, who had recently been taken into custody as part of the investigation into the assassination attempts on R.J. Brand. It was these attempts which led to the formation of the Legion. seems that these floating racists were the were the ones responsible for supplying Doyle with his equipment in their attempt to s- squash the fledgling legion and the very young united planets. The whole idea of the united planets sickened them. They desire to find more extreme agents for their plans and dive to the planet below to find them. You now, fi- Figuring out this whole assassination plot is like peeling an onion. There's always a new layer, but I think we've gotten to the center of this whole nasty Plot with this with this group, we'll, we'll be seeing more of them soon, ish. Back on the moon, the Legion arrives and experiences some friction with the Science Police station there. Cosmic Boy agrees to stay out of the Science Police's way, and the Legion checks on Macaulay. Team confirms that the guy's a total slime ball, especially when a video surveillance camera captures Mano's explanation of his vendetta. It was Macaulay and his shady dealings which indirectly led to Ang Tu's destruction. Elsewhere, Mano tears through the science police squad, leaving several officers dead. Cosmic Boy decides to split the team in two to search with orders that no one goes solo. This of course is to avoid the situation the team faced last issue when Kid Quantum tore off on his own after a nasty villain and paid the ultimate price. In a nice moment, Leviathan is taken aback when Kaz puts him in charge of Team 2, considering how he mishandled the leadership role last mission. It really goes to show Cosmic Boy's leadership style, building his teammates' confidence right back up, from the ground up, with this little bit of responsibility. Kaz's group, made up of Apparition, Excess, and Triad, find nothing on their search, save the horrible work conditions Macaulay's workforce faces. This further sullies his reputation in their eyes, uh, especially when compared to uh, a decent sort of industrialist, rich industrialist like R.J. Brand. The second team, Leviathan, Saturn Girl, Livewire, Invisible Kid, and Chameleon, get lucky, or not, depending on how you want to look at it, when Mano arrives with, uh, with a big explosion. He's aware of Saturn Girl's mental scans. Mano's about to put a finishing touch on a prone Saturn girl, with Macaulay looking on from behind protective glass, but Invisible Kid is able to communicate with the other team. Excess appears on a flash and knocks Mano for a loop, but the villain manages to slug it out with others on the team. Burning through some constraints, Cosmic Boy magnetically whips up. Mano claims to be disgusted by the Legion, protecting Macaulay who he calls a genocidal raider. Leviathan smashes Mano's helmet to reveal the jet-black featureless face, crackling with the same sort of energy as his destructive hand. Mano's backed into a corner right up against the protective dome that houses this industrial complex and threatens to blow it up. Livewire calls his bluff, though the wide-eyed looks on Triad and Apparition make it pretty obvious that they're not so confident. And... Waboom! The dome explodes... To be continued in legionnaires number 20. nice cliffhanger and nice issue like i said before i'm not typically a fan of stories with multiple artists unless it's for something really special something like justice league of america number 200 from the early 80s that that comes to mind it was a plan and a point to having multiple artists there as that story was divided into different chapters of different character spotlights and those are some pretty legendary artists. Got Kubert, Inventino, Gil Kane. Anyway, there was, there was no point here. Gotta think it was a deadline thing, and no disrespect to the other artist. I, I just wish Lee Motor and Ron Boyd had done the whole thing. Each art team did decent work, but thrown together in 25 pages, it comes across as a little sloppy. I want to get right into Legionnaires number 20 which is by the team of Tom Pyre, writer, Jeffrey Moy, penciler, twin brother Philip Moy on inks, Moyes also did the cover, Tom McCraw, interestingly, on colors only, not credited with plotting this issue, Pat Brousseau, letterer, and and Carlson, once again, on edits. This issue begins with the briefest of recaps. Mano uses the destructive power of his hand to destroy the dome, protecting his moon complex, and he gets sucked away in the process. The Legionnaires collapse, gasping for fleeting air, Cosmic Boy desperately exerts his magnetic power and manages to pull up an entire section of underground corridor, a truly awesome feat for him. We're able to read Excess's thoughts as she looks on, hoping to carry one by one the Legionnaires to safety, but the lack of air proves too much, and she collapses. Chameleon manages to step up and completely envelop the group in a malleable form and sort of rolls and crawls to safety below. The revived Legionnaires begin again, their search for Mano. Nice little character moments here. Leviathan bangs his head on a low entryway and says he hates this place. This is picked up and repeated by Chameleon, his first words in Interlac, I hate this place kind of at a loss for how they'll stop Mano once they find him. Invisible Kid suggests they contact the Green Kid, which they do to Brainiac 5's extreme annoyance. Meanwhile, below the moon's surface, Mano murders another Macaulay employee while hiding out in the victim's quarters, though strangely not with his disintegration powery. He strangles the guy from behind with a wire. This extreme act of violence is picked up by a Saturn Girl, who Been mentally scanning for any such activity. En route to the living quarters, the Legionnaires consult Brainiac 5, who snarkily points out that with the power to destroy his own home world, which he'd done with a touch after his planet's population was killed by Macaulay's chemical weapons, why wouldn't he have done the same thing to the moon, killing Macaulay along with everyone else there? Brainiac hypothesizes that Mano's power must need a certain amount of time to recharge to planet-busting levels, and this is really borne out by the brutally mundane way he strangled his last victim. Brainiac calculates that they've got less than half an hour till Mano's back to full charge, so the team rushes toward toward Mano's most likely hiding place, the, the living quarters of the employees. After attempts by apparition and excess to search each dorm individually, Leviathan takes matters into his own hands and, in a nice moment for him, rifts off the entire roof, revealing the resting Mano, who immediately beats feet. This uh, fleeing baddie is just about ready to rock the world, but unexpectedly he runs into Macaulay. Confronting the object of his hate with an outstretched, glowing hand, Mano asks Macaulay, "Why, anyone would want a profit on the, from the destruction of a planet?" And all Macaulay can say is, "I hate this place. It's chameleon in disguise." Mano hesitates in shock, and his arm is wrenched back by Invisible Kid, and Chameleon gives Mano the KO punch. Now these two, Invisible Kid and Chameleon, are proving to be quite a team. They really work well together in ways that were never really explored before now, and it makes so much sense for these two legionnaires whose powers are sort of deceptive in nature, the, the shape-shifting and the invisibility to, to play off one another. Mano and his hand are restrained, presumably to be picked up by the science police, while Macaulay gloats. He gives a final slimy pitch to the legionnaires to come work for him, and the team doesn't even bother answering as they walk out. As they do, Cosmic Boy informs Livewire that his presence has been requested by none other than the President of the United Planets. The next day at President Chu's office, Livewire is nervous that he's been found out as a runaway and, and fares for his Legion membership. If only it were that bad. The President explains that each United Planets world was asked to submit a Legion representative and at his homeworld, Winneth has sent along their representative, and it's none other than Garth's twin sister, Ayla, who shows up on the last page to replace her completely shocked brother. Ooh. Shocked, that's a bad pun I unfortunately intended. So Ayla on the last page, another great cliffhanger. I found this to be a pretty good wrap-up to the Legion's second mission. They're proving to be quite a team working so well together under Cosmic Boys' leadership. They definitely ran into a, an adversary worthy of a team, and Mano kind of proved himself as a somewhat sympathetic villain, especially when compared to the shady Macaulay who makes Donald Trump look like Betty Cooper. And this is an interesting comparison that I just came to mind, this Donald Trump and Macaulay, especially considering the Donald's current enterprise, and what lies ahead in Macaulay's political future way, way down the road. Spoiler alert, but you don't think that Donald has really been murdered and replaced by a disguised villain with plans for world domination? (gasps) Oh my god. I gotta get off this crackpot train right now. Any other crackpot theories, Legion-related or otherwise? Leave a comment on my blog, imthegun.blogspot.com, where you'll find other comics content. There are links there to my Twitter and Tumblr. You can email me at I'm imthegun I-M-T-H-E-G-U-N at gmail.com Or check out I'm the Gun on iTunes. You'll find episodes there of Reboot Review as well as Shanna Showcase where I've been talking Marvel's Shanna the She-Devil and occasional other stuff like the episode I recorded to celebrate Green Lantern's 75th anniversary. I'll be pushing out another reboot review in a couple of weeks, so until then, LOL. Live on Legion.